Welcome to The Property Planet, a podcast with Simon Howley and Amanda Perotten of Bell Howley Perotten, the show all about the tax and legal issues surrounding property ownership, where we discuss everything that affects property investors and developers and go deep into the details to unravel the advice, highlight the traps you can fall into and dispel the myths surrounding property ownership in the UK. Morning, Amanda. Good morning, Simon. How are you? Very well, indeed. How's the weather? It's cold. Cold today. Cold and windy, which is quite a strange for Marbella, but there you go. <laughs> um, okay, so second episode. Um, we're going to be discussing this week um, an area which is really what you specialise in, wills, lasting power of attorneys, and the confusion around that. Um, there's also, I think, I think I read recently, there's the, in the High Court, there's 48% increases in the states being disputed in the High Court when compared to 2018 and 2019. So it's clearly a big issue. Um, and so I think it, also, it, yeah, and it's an expensive issue as well if people yeah. are uh, not getting themselves sorted out. And I think also with the current climate with COVID-19, lasting powers of attorneys are pretty much now vital now, uh, as they yeah. always were, but I think it's, it's, it's more to the forefront now. So, okay, so over to you on the wills. <laughs> well, primarily, we um, when we have our conversations with clients regarding, uh, you know, the tax position or how they're structuring their property portfolios, one of our, I guess, standard questions is, um, do you have a will? Um, and I think it's one of those things that um, people just sort of think, oh, well, have you got a will? They're ticking a the box. But we're definitely not ticking a box um, when we're asking our clients about wills. Um, because quite a shocking proportion of people actually don't have a will. Um, I think it's somewhere between 73 and 76% of people don't have a will. And um, I think that is because people don't like to talk about death. And I think it's just a question of changing your mindset about the fact that we're not talking about death. We're talking about just organising your affairs so that your estate is left as you would want it to. So with clients we've chatted to this week, one of the drivers for them getting in touch with us has been wealth planning. Well, they're wealth planning to ensure that their wealth is perhaps passing through the generations and they're, you know, concerned about ring fencing certain of their assets. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a general conversation about ensuring that what they've built up over the preceding years is ultimately going where they want it to. I mean, I mean certainly of the five meetings we had on Zoom this week, I think all clients didn't have a will. I think from a previous week, one client did have an LPA, but they never signed it. Yes. <laughs> Pretty yes. Uh, astonishing, but that, that's... Uh, yes. And, and I think as well, it's, it's one of those things. It's, um, it's a bit like, you know, again, you're, in, you're spending out money and you don't see a tangible benefit um, you know, if we, if we put a good structure in place for somebody or if we do some sort of corporate planning or um, something of that nature, then we will, um, somebody will instantly see that um, they have a lesser tax bill or they, you know, there's an instant financial benefit to them. Whereas I think undertaking a will they're going to die. So they're either dead and or they're looking well off into the distance. Well, um, anyway, so death and taxes <laughs> is the old saying. But, but I think with, with most meetings we have at the moment, 
on the back of incorporations, which seems to be the concern with the changes in capital gains tax, which is going to happen at some point, maybe next year, is family wealth creation. So we did a lot of, um, I think, two next week anyway, we have two uh, family investment companies to to uh, draft up and change share rights. But as we look at things in a holistic manner, we tend to build in the wills and the LPAs in with the planning for any share structuring or incorporations. Yeah. And, and I think as well, um, you know, that the, the, the fallback point for if you don't have a will are the intestacy rules. Um, now, whilst the intestacy rules were updated in 2014, they're still fairly draconian. And if you don't have um, children, then under the intestacy rules, then yes, your spouse does receive everything. But if you are not um, married, or if you do have children, then the intestacy rules will impact you quite significantly, or certainly impact your surviving spouse quite significantly in the way that your estate will be distributed on your death. So, as a fallback position, the intestacy rules are not a fallback position. You are far better off sitting down and having a think about um, who you want to appoint, where your wealth is going. And then as a, as a matter of course, you will then consider inheritance tax planning, um, making provision, making lifetime gifts um, that will enable you to manage that. And just as you would manage your mortgage or you manage your life insurance policies or you manage other aspects of your life, you know, our, our view is that having a will in place, having an LPA in place is just part of life managing your own affairs. Yeah. And can you, obviously, you could appoint can't you, anyone to be your executor? Yeah, you can. Absolutely. Um, traditionally, so, you know, people will ha- put in place mirror wills, um, which also adds to a bit of confusion, which we can sort of chat about in a bit. But, you know, a mirror will, you give everything to each other and thereafter, perhaps it goes to your surviving children. So naturally, if you've got joint assets, those assets will pass by survivorship and you can appoint your surviving spouse as the executor. Now, thereafter, you might want to appoint your children as the executor. But what people are often driven by is that a solicitor or a professional executor is going to charge them. And what they actually forget is, is that in the throes of grief, your surviving spouse or your children um, will actually go to a solicitor because they don't have either the time or the knowledge to actually administer the estate on your behalf. So, it's a false economy to think that you wouldn't appoint a professional executor within your will. So yes, of course they will charge you, but that professional will charge you for the administration of your estate anyway. So whether they're appointed via your children that have been appointed the executors, or if you appoint them outright, you know, um, the costs, there's no cost saving in not appointing the professional executor. So I think most of the court cases at the moment uh, those are actually the time, I think it was last week or the week before. Um, it's around wills that are mirror wills or mutual wills, because they're, they're confusing for me, because um, obviously you've done my wills and you're going to be my power of attorney, uh, should I go a bit do lally. Um, <laughs> but, but of course, England and, and Wales is common law. Europe is obviously civil law, so it's very different. So I've got a will in, in, in Spain, I had one in Ireland, and obviously I've got one also in the UK. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, th- 
I think the crucial things um, about the differentiation between a mirror will and a mutual will is the, the point of a mutual will is to try to protect an estate in the event of second or maybe third marriage. So traditionally, if you have a husband and wife who have two children and they will make a mirror will. So it literally is as it says, it mirrors the terms of uh, the spouse's wills and they give everything to each other and thereafter they distribute between their children. Now, on the death of one of those uh, spouses, there is, and bearing in mind the entire estate has passed as a surviving spouse, there is a chance that that surviving spouse may remarry so if you have a second marriage, the spouse that they remarry um, may also have children. Now, what has is well documented, both I'm sure in people's personal lives and in the press, is that in the event that the surviving spouse remarries and then dies either without leaving a will or makes another mirror will with that second spouse, the entire estate will then pass to the second surviving spouse. So by doing that, effectively, the children from the first marriage can be entirely disinherited. Which is... uh... (laughs) Quite. (laughs) Yeah, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it because yes there is the family uh, dependence act that enables you to make a claim against somebody's estate but in order to do that it's, it's very fixed you have to demonstrate that you were in some way financially reliant on the person that's died and that doesn't financial reliance is not you know you have an expectation that your parents were going to leave you two hundred thousand pounds that's not financial reliance financial reliance is that you were actually living perhaps with them you know you have a disability perhaps that means that you continued residing with a parent so you know purely mirror wills do not protect the estates of former spouses and the and or children, um, what you can do to try to avoid that is put in place a mutual will, and a mutual will is effectively a contract between you and your spouse that you won't change your will uh-huh. after the death of the first spouse. So there are exceptions to that, as there are always. How would you please that? Well. Um, you the only way that you will police that is by let's say the children from your first marriage having a copy of your original will um but you still would have to make a claim so effectively what happens then is the estate is held on a trust for the original beneficiaries so if you if you're taking you know a million pounds into a second marriage, effectively you are ring fencing that million pounds and saying, well, aside from any other wealth that I accumulate during my second marriage, that million pounds is ring fenced and held on trust for the two children from my first marriage who will inherit because that million pounds will be an accumulation of the of the spouse you know the, the mother that died first and then the set father that's died second of the first marriage okay. so would you recommend that most clients get a mutual will for from the protection point of view uh, i would mutual will I would, seems to be what most people have because it seems to be 
they view it as a simplest thing to do and the cheapest thing to do, but it doesn't <laughs> always really um, get them to the place they really want to be. That's exactly right. I think that, you know, going back to the very point at the very beginning, um, people um, want, you know, they, they look on the internet and they see that they can get a will um, created and drafted by a will writer for £99 plus VAT or something, or they can, you know, traditional traditional um, comments were that, you know, you could go into WH Smith's and pick up a will off of the side, uh, you know, and, and, and buy a will, do your own for 20 quid. And the, the courts and case law is littered with people that have done that and then spent phenomenal amounts of money because contested probates are phenomenally expensive. I mean, the costs of litigation are eye-watering. So I think, you know, yes, if you have a standard, very simple, straightforward, as you perceive it to be situation, there's nothing wrong with a mirror will. It's um, the problems obviously arise with first, second, slightly more complicated, perhaps, families. Um, so like myself, who's been married multiple times. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, that that is you know, that is the norm, really. There are lots of people that have, you know, have a number, perhaps a couple of marriages or previous spouses that have passed away or children from other relationships or people that just haven't got married at all. So, you know, it's not, it's not a judgment on how somebody's living their life. It's simply saying, just don't go for something cheaply because you think, as we come across quite regularly, uh, you know, a one size fits all because it definitely doesn't. I mean, mutual wills are not the elixir of life either because they are also, you know, fraught with difficulties. And if you think about them, the premise of them is they are almost done in anticipation of dispute. Yes. Um, so it, they're also, they can be quite a contentious tool. And when you're sat with clients around a table, you know, it's very common for me and you to sort of, you know, chat away with, with clients and they say, well, you know, we absolutely trust each other. And as we found, you know, death and money do extraordinary things to people. Well, there's money involved. It doesn't matter how close you are as a family, there will be a dispute. And, of course, yeah. with a lot of the work at the moment we're doing with family investment companies, um, it's part of the protection is there's is is, no leakage with the family investment companies. So we want some kind of mechanism in there where uh, on divorce, you can buy back the shares compulsory, put a value for that. Um, do you then cater for um, your... Uh, in-laws and children, if, if a son dies, we can use a trust for that or so. It's quite complex, but again, it all ties together using the wills, using various vehicles like trusts, uh, family investment companies to, to try not to have any leakage because I think I think nearly one in, one in two divorces um, is quite common now. So Yeah, and I mean, you know, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, there was a piece um, in the Times this weekend uh, that's just gone. So the date of that, I don't know, what was that? About the 30th of November, 29th of November. And the headline is, Dad wanted us to inherit £300,000 and all we got was his old tie. And, you know, that that is quite a stark headline, but that is a, re- that is a reality. Um, true, yeah. 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 And, and I think that, you know, the, the sadness with, with this particular case, it wasn't just, you know, the financial things, 
um, or, you know, the bank accounts or the actual liquid cash. It was all also talking about, um, you know, that the children from the first marriage not being permitted access to even go and get some of their father's personal items. I mean, bar the old tie, but, you know, personal items that were very, things like photographs and things like that, you know. And it, it you know, it, it's a, it's a not untypical, but quite a sad situation and the way that it, it, it comes out. So so I, I would urge anybody that has said, oh, yes, I must do a will over the past five to 10 years or has got a draft sat in their in tray on their desk you know I would I would seriously encourage you to fill it out and sign we will continue as agenda point one for all our meetings (laughs) (laughs) I'll ask your private attorneys can you just explain that there are various ones for various purposes Yeah, so so again, you know, when we're chatting to people, have you got wills in place? Obviously, that deals with death. The last in powers of attorneys deals with the living. So it deals with any situations that may or have arisen um, during your lifetime as a result of, they can be as a result of loss of capacity, whether temporary or permanent, or they can work as a an instrument to facilitate life. So if you have an elderly mother, an elderly father, elderly a and other relative, um, you know, it can it's a tool that you put in place. So traditionally they were enduring powers of attorney. So they're a tool that you can put in place that can just help you to help that elderly relative. You know, I've, my mother-in-law's recently moved around the corner. Um, everything is online. Well, she's 81. She's getting to grips with a smartphone and an iPad. But, um, you know, fundamentally, she doesn't pull a laptop out on the kitchen bench and um, sort of run through her accounts. You know, that, that the reality is, is that doesn't happen. She's got no idea what we're talking about. And, you know, banks and uh, financial institutions are cutting costs and you can rarely speak to a human being these days. Um so if you've got a lasting power of attorney in place or a power of attorney that you put in place before 2007, you know, they're, they're phenomenally useful tools to enable you to do that. And then in the event of loss of capacity, they will endure through that period to enable you to continue helping them. I always assumed, um, but I think you said that I was wrong, that obviously if your spouse was in capacity, then the, 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 the spouse who has capacity could decide for that spouse, but that's not that's not true, is it? No. So, so with um, lasting powers of attorney, the, the forms are split into health and welfare and financial, and then you can subsplit the financial um, lasting power of attorney to enable you to use it for your business. So you can be very specific. So you can have a business power of attorney in place, you can have a financial power of attorney in place, and a health and welfare, and um, what the, um, the the courts or the, the basis on which the courts operate and local authorities is if your spouse does lose capacity and you don't have a lasting power of attorney in place that gives you authority to make decisions for their regarding their health and welfare, then the local authority will make those decisions via the courts. So you might be your spouse's next of kin, but you're not a natural attorney you would have to apply through the courts in order to actually become an attorney if you haven't already been appointed and there are you know well there there are many but in two particularly um 
awful cases. Uh, one was a lady called Betty Fig, um, whose daughter took her out of a um, care home in order to look after her at home. And her daughter was a nurse and, you know, uh, Betty's health was deteriorating. And she thought that she would, this is pre-COVID times, but she thought that she would be better there. And the local authority actually got the police to issue a, or to get a, a warrant issued so that they could actually go in and remove poor Betty in her wheelchair, yeah, covered in a blanket from her daughter's home. I mean, the distress for everybody in relation to that, yeah. um, because what the local authority was saying was that her daughter just didn't have the ability to decide what was best for her mother. Similarly, you know, uh, there's a chap, uh, PC Briggs, uh, he sadly had a, he was about 42, 43, had a motorcycle accident on his way to work. He was a policeman. Um, and uh, once he was in hospital, it was the doctors that were deciding what was in his best interests. And it took his um, wife 18 months to get a court order to actually just get his his uh, life support system turned off in the end because there was no real prospect of recovery. But the trauma for her in having to do that, she had no right to actually say, I'd like it to stop now. And um, and I think that that's really crucial. You know, as a spouse, you don't have an automatic right to say, what happens to your your spouse who's lost capacity for whatever reason um and it can be quite traumatic being and and also you get cut out of the process you know they don't have to advise you what they're doing um and you know with with covid times it becomes even more um you know it's to the forefront yeah yeah absolutely i suppose the moral of the story really is um talk to us yeah. Put your will in place, have a lot of power of attorney in place for, for welfare, for health, uh, for your business, very important. Yeah. Um, yes, it, it, it really is absolutely essential to get that done primarily first and then as part of any planning you do anyway with your business in general. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I really, I know that, um, you know, even sort of many years ago, there used to be Will Week and, and there were sort of real huge drives for solicitors to encourage their client base to get wills in place. And it's, it's something that has been consistently difficult to do, to encourage people to, to try to prioritise something that could ultimately save them an awful lot of grief and misery. Um, so if anybody's got any suggestions on how that could be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Great stuff. Okay. Um, anything this week interesting to could chat about with clients we've met or prospects? One that springs to mind. Yeah. It ties in nicely with our, our first episode on, on beneficial legal ownership of property uh-huh. uh, was our meeting yesterday. Yes. Whereas we tended to go around in circles and no matter how how – how I approach the question with them, they they you should they change the answer. Um, first of all, it was it was all owned by the son, and then I asked, well, legally or beneficially? Oh no, we all own it in quarter shares. So then we explained, of course, then the the, the you'll be taxed on your beneficial ownership, and the, the income will will follow that ownership. Oh no 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 no, we changed our mind now, uh, but there's, there's still this confusion. Yes, and and I think as well, I think that. Um, if as parents you put up the money and then but you put the property into your son or daughter's name then that either you have to decide are you making a gift 
and that property will be you know not only will your son or daughter's name be on the title but they will be entitled to the beneficial interest so any income that's generated as a result of that property um is then the the sons or are you saying that although the legal title so the name on the title deeds is your son or daughters even though that's the case he's actually holding it on trust for other people so perhaps you and your husband needs to be some documentation to demonstrate that fact yeah this was a point they couldn't get their heads around yes there's there's no point you're saying it's owned in this way and i would say well prove that to me Yes. If HMRC question it, they want to see a document, a simple deed of trust document. Yeah. But that's what needs to be done to prove then how the ownership is actually held, either splits, tenants in common, or it's been held on trust by one individual for the remaining ones. But they couldn't seem to get their head around that. I, th- I think as well is that um, there is a sort of a, a certain amount of anxiety as to either saying, well, we, we want it held in the best way. Well, well, yes, you do want it held in the best way, but our point yesterday was we still need to work from the starting point and the actual reality of what the starting point was and how that was worked out to begin with. And I think all the way through, all the way through our chats with our clients, you know, and, and again, it was, it was particularly important this week, was um, come to us at the beginning and the, the, the feeling of saving you know, an extra five, six hundred pounds, even saving an extra thousand pounds. If you've then got it in the wrong splits or it, you don't quite understand how you have got it, A, you might not be able to unpick it and B, the tax impact in terms of CGT or an income tax is going to completely wipe out any worries you had at the beginning of doing something more thoughtful. Yeah, and as we always say, you cannot backdate deeds. No, you can't. <laughs> People don't seem to understand. You cannot just backdate documents willy-nilly to suit yourself. Um, there's, there's laws in this country where you can't do that. Anyway, uh, some of the exciting news this week for us, obviously we've, we've teamed up as a firm uh, with two property networks, uh, Partners with Property Network and the Property Foundation Group. So we are going to be the exclusive UK tax and legal uh, advisors to that network. Uh, they're both nationwide, so that, that's quite exciting for us anyway. Yes, uh, and led, led by very sort of dynamic people as well, so that's, yeah, that's yeah, quite exciting. They're yeah. slightly, I think personally, better property networks than some of the other ones that are out there all over YouTube, but that's my personal opinion. Yes. Um, okay, cool. That's great for this week. Um, next week, again, we're going to have two guests next week, uh, Andrew Thornhill QC, uh, to go over some, some tax planning ideas that we're working with at the moment, uh, and also Adam Lawrence uh, of Partners in Property Network as well to come along to explain a little bit more about what they do, how they educate their members, uh, and how we will interact with them to give them, to add value to their network. Fabulous. Looking forward to it. Okay. That's great. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week when we discuss more of the tax and legal issues surrounding your business and property needs.